Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, the face of communication in D.C. and around the world is changing drastically. I think that where we are now is into this age of tribal communications. That is the whole epistemology. We understand what truth is first, and then we get the facts to back it up, as opposed to, historically, we, we were the other way around. We built the factual base, and then we came to the truth. I don't know how we undo that. Our next guest is Richard Levick from Levick. Levick is a very interesting company here in town. They handle, well, they handle the highest profile matters. They've been involved with the Gulf oil spill and dealing with uh, PR, significant issues the Catholic Church over the years. Richard Levick really know how to get clients in the news and as he often points out, figuring out when to get them out of the news. So we brought Richard in to talk about what the outlook is for 2018 with respect to companies and how they're gonna deal with providing information and communicating with consumers and the broader community. Richard, thanks for joining us. Jonathan, great to be here. It's always great to have you. You provide wonderful content. And let's start with this. I have been struck over the last year with all the comments and conversations about the falsity or non-falsity of information. It clearly is in people's minds. How do you think that's affecting consumer behavior? Well, I, you know, I think that, first of all, we used to exist in a uh, republic, and we have for almost uh, 225 of our 250, 260 years. That is, there was always a gatekeeper. There were the journalists. There were the lobbyists. There were those people in between the mass of information and the consumer. And I think what the Internet has done, uh, what we're all grateful to Al Gore for having invented, is this uh, this hyper-democratization. So people get information directly, and the challenge with, by moving to a hyper-democracy, is there is no filter. We have no idea of knowing the source of the information. Is it credible or not? You know, what's fascinating is that uh, Pew will put out a study and say that all, overwhelmingly people are very skeptical about information that they get on Facebook and other social sources. And we all say, hurrah, people are being critical about the information, they're being thoughtful. But then overwhelmingly, people trust information they get from a trusted source. So Jonathan, if you sent me an email which said, look, on Facebook it says the moon is made out of uh, green cheese, I would then put credibility into that because it came from you. So we believe the incredible if it comes from a credible source. So this issue then of credibility becomes significant and important for any business. How do you establish credibility in a world where literally every bit of information is equal to every other bit of information? It's an extraordinary challenge. And I think a lot of the rules that we've known for decades, you know, build your trust bank during peacetime, uh, that have lots of third parties who can speak to your credibility, uh, that traditionally has been very helpful for weathering those more challenging times. Now we're in a period of time where Almost any allegation can take on uh, the aura of truth. There is not necessarily a statute of limitations. Uh, a new generation that grew up on the phrase, don't judge me, is extremely judgmental. And we see people accusing uh, others uh, of, of activity, even if they don't know the facts. And then throw into that, of course, you've got the whole Me Too movement where it's so important 
for women, as they said with the Golden Globes uh, during the Golden Globes recently, that it's so important for women to be able to feel that they are empowered for those who are LGBTQ to be able to feel empowered. Uh, and yet this it's, it's into this maelstrom in which there's so much untruth going on there, it gets, becomes more and more of a challenge for everyone. Well, I want to come back to Me Too and things like Grab Your Wallet because this last year has shown that the democratization of information really is a big risk for businesses if they don't handle themselves properly. But before we go there, it strikes me, you talked about this generation, I assume you mean the millennials, the digital natives, being very, very concerned uh, and being very judgmental. My sense is that when I talk with the millennials that I teach over the Smith School or the people that I work with in my startup life, they are very, very judgmental, but they also are very, very interested in authenticity. Do they have a better BS uh, detector than uh, baby boomers with, with respect to digital behavior? Are they fooling themselves? Are there ways for businesses to establish authenticity? Because clearly that's what I think people are looking for in information. You know, I think we're all fooling ourselves. I, I don't want to try and identify a single generation or any of us uh, as having good or bad qualities. I just think, you know, sometimes you're talking to millennials and you're talking about historical facts and they'll judge them not knowing that uh, because they weren't around and don't have the experience to understand that you're speaking about historical facts. You can be brought up to HR because you mentioned the Negro Leagues, the old baseball leagues, and if they don't have an understanding of that, they think that you're saying something uh, disparaging when in fact you're referring to a factual name. And I think that's true across a wide variety uh, of issues. I'm not. I, I think that where we are now is into this age of tribal communications. That is the whole epistemology. We understand what truth is first, and then we get the facts to back it up. As opposed to historically, we, we were the other way around. We built the factual base, and then we came to the truth. I don't know how we undo that. And I think that Donald Trump is an example of that. I think that uh, the, the 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 cleavage of the Republican Party, the separation of this country into that sort of 1960 to 1972 period where there's so much anger. It's because we identify with our tribe first and only accept information as true, which already fits our pre-existing narrative. So I would say I think that behavior exists everywhere, right? I think we see it in the Democratic Party now in the aftermath of the, uh, the elections and the governor elections. There's a big issue in the Democratic Party now about the direction of the party. Is it going to be more progressive, more mainstream? And see it everywhere, right? Um, I struggle with this. Let me ask you what you think. How did this happen? How do we go from a society where people were comfortable that they didn't know everything and they would develop a worldview by looking for the expertise of others? You know, a society where we, we literally stood on the shoulders of those that came before to a society where we know what we know and then we find information to fit the paradigm. How do you think it happened? You've been in advertising PR for a while now. How did it happen? It's happening so quickly. You know, we used to own the trademark on the words, what's next? And it's extraordinarily difficult to see out past tomorrow, let alone weeks or years uh, ahead. When Ronald Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall regarding the wall between East and uh, West Germany, I, I was always struck by the fact that people presumed it was because of our military strength and our better form of government that that moment had occurred. But I always thought it was about the information revolution. No longer could controlled states, communist states, control economies if all the other states in the world were free information flow and increasing. What I didn't realize, Jonathan, was that those very same issues, the extraordinary freedom of information would create problems for us too. Really quick before I let you go. You mentioned Me Too. You've talked about Get Out Your Wallet earlier. 
businesses, how can they be vigilant about the possibility of them being in the middle of one of these crises? One of the things is, who are the third parties? Who do, uh, who's going to speak for us? What are the visuals? That is, uh, pictures speak far louder than words. How are you tracking information? What's your risk in business intelligence? You have to be able to see this before it happens because we no longer have the time to react. Who is your crisis team? How do they know each other? Most companies, what they do is they fail to A, recognize the, mo uh, the moment, and B, act on it quickly enough because they don't have their team together. Richard, as always, thank you for coming and talking with us, and it was great to have you share your perspectives for business people around the region. Jonathan, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to What's Working in Washington. A special thanks to our sponsor, Eagle Bank. How do you get to be number one in the D.C. area? Eagle Bank did it by putting relationships first. They're flexible, involved, responsive, strong, and trusted. Eagle Bank's goal is your success. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan. Our online writer is Barbara Ulrich. Music provided by two D.C. region bands, Two Car Living Room, and The Sunbathers. And let us know who you think we should be talking to on the show. Tweet us at at What's Working DC. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening. <laughs>